Now may, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to be back with you after three weeks on vacation. And I uh, want to thank Luke and Mike for filling in while I was away and everybody who helped to hold down the fort while I was away. Um, we went to northwest Montana where Josie's parents live and her sister, and uh, it was a wonderful time. Preachers go on vacation to find new illustrations. <laughs> and so I have one for you this morning. But it's a fitting one for our text. I'm going to be preaching on faith and that passage, that famous passage from Hebrews 11, and I encourage you to, to look at that and uh, as we go along here. You can also find it in the Bibles, if you want to open up a Bible that are available in the pews. Well, the illustration is that um, we went to northwest Montana to Glacier National Park. Hopefully you have been there. If you haven't, uh, put it on your bucket list. It's a beautiful place. And there's a trail there called the Highline Trail. Some of you may have been on this trail. And um, it's kind of just cut into a mountain. <laughs> on one side of the trail is just the face of the mountain, just granite face mountain on one side of the trail. And then on the other side of the trail is a sheer drop-off. It's shale rock, it's loose, and then it's a drop-off for over 100 feet. And so we went on, the, now I didn't take all of my family onto this trail. This is not something you take a three-year-old on. Uh, so uh, Sam and Lydia stayed back with Grandma and Grandpa, but the rest of us went. And I looked online to see how wide this trail was, and it said online that it's six to eight feet wide, but it felt like three to four feet wide <laughs> in some places. I'm afraid of heights. I don't do well with heights. The only reason I went on this trail is that attached to that mountain was a cable so that you could walk along the mountain hanging on to the cable. And the only reason I let my kids go on it is because there was a cable. You're supposed to relax and enjoy the scenery as you're walking. I was clinging to the cable, the death grip, and making sure that my feet were on solid ground as I walked. I think that's a good illustration of faith as the author of Hebrews writes about it. Faith is clinging to God. Clinging to his promises, his word. Faith is walking through this life which is often perilous and difficult on the solid ground of the promises of God. Faith is persevering in hope that on the other side <laughs> there is peace and security on the other side of this life. The author of Hebrews is writing to people who are tempted to let go because they're facing persecution because of their belief in Jesus Christ. And if you flip over a chapter, you don't have to do it now, but in chapter 10 he talks about some of the things that these people have gone through because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Some of them were ridiculed because of their faith in Jesus publicly. Some of them lost property. Some of them were imprisoned. And he's writing to Christians from a Jewish heritage. 
And the temptation for them was to go back, of course, to go back to what they were raised with, to go back to what they had known, to go back to what they thought was solid and secure that they had grown up with, and to let go of this newfound faith and return to an old way of life. And so the author of Hebrews, this pastor to these Jewish Christians, The theme throughout the book is hang on to your faith in Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you've ever faced the temptation to let go of your faith or at least to loosen your grip. Or maybe you've never clung to Christ in the first place. Some people are tempted to let go because of suffering that they face in their life. Other people are tempted to let go because as they get older, they're exposed to ideas and questions that they hadn't thought of before, and it challenges their faith. And these intellectual questions begin to erode their faith, and doubt creeps in. Some people let go of faith, or at least loosen their grip on faith, because their life hasn't turned out the way they thought it was. God's not doing exactly what they expected him to do, and they become disillusioned. I I believe that what the author of Hebrews is saying in this chapter can encourage all of us to hang on, to cling to Christ and his promises. And so I want to take you through some of this this morning. I want us to look at his description of faith. It's a very helpful description of faith. And then um, I want us to consider what he says about the reasonableness of faith. That is, faith has its reasons. It's not a question of faith or reason, that you have to choose one or the other. But faith has its reasons. And then, finally, the reward of faith. The reward of faith. So let's look at, first of all, this description of faith that he gives in verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I think what's most helpful, at least to me, about this definition of faith is that it emphasizes that the object of our faith is outside of our self. The object of our faith is the assurance of things hoped for, Outside of ourselves, we're hoping for something. And the conviction of things not seen, once again, beyond ourselves. And the reason I think this is helpful, particularly in our cultural context, is because many people, when they think about faith, they think of it as, as sort of a mystical feeling, a subjective feeling. Some people equate faith with feeling. Um, their faith is bound up with religious inspiration or enthusiasm or mystical experience. Other people say, I'm not a person of faith because they don't have a particular type of feeling. And so they say, well, I, I just don't have it. And I'm not against religious feelings or emotions. I'm not against seeking to experience the presence of God. That is part of of what it means to be a person of faith, but let's not equate faith and feelings because what happens 
when the feeling fades? What happens when the feelings come and go? What do you say to the person who says, well, I can't be a person of faith because I haven't had any sort of religious, mystical experience. I just don't have the feeling." This is a helpful definition because it emphasizes that our faith, the object of our faith, is outside of ourselves. The things that are hoped for and the things that are unseen. What exactly does he mean by those things that are hoped for and the things that are unseen? He's talking about God and his promises. God and his word. The things hoped for are the things that God promises to us. Once again, they come to us outside of ourselves. You see, the uh, examples of faith, of people who live by faith in the Old Testament, and all these come from the book of Genesis, are examples of people who were told by God something, and they believed that something, that promise. We read about Abraham. God gave Abraham an impossible promise, humanly speaking. That Abraham, who was childless, and his wife Sarah, who was barren, would indeed bear a son, and he would become the son of promise. And that through him, a whole nation would emerge. That was humanly impossible. But Abraham believed that promise, even though he did not see the reality of it. He believed the word of God. And we know that that promise came true. Abraham did become the father of a great nation. The Jewish people are evidence that God is a promise keeper. Abraham had this promise and he held it in hope. Even though he did not live to see it completely fulfilled, he walked by faith in the promise that God has given. You see, some of God's promises to his people have been fulfilled, and we read about that in Scripture, and there are unseen, those are the unseen things, the unseen promises of God that are yet to be fulfilled. Things like the promise of heaven which is mentioned here. The promise that Christ will return, that there will be an end of time when Christ will come again as the judge of the living and dead. This is what Jesus talks about in our gospel reading. The promise of bodily resurrection. These are promises that God has made that are yet to be fulfilled. But my point is faith is holding fast to God and his promises. So if you're struggling with faith, if your faith is growing weak or dim, what's not helpful is to dwell on your lack of faith and to become introspective too much. What's helpful is to look to God and read about God and his interaction with people over time and space in history and the promises that he made to them and the way that he acted to fulfill those promises. What's helpful is to look to God and his promises. When I was on that mountain trail, it wasn't helpful for me to think about my fear and anxiety and what if this happens and what if I stumble here. What was helpful was to keep clinging to the cable and to tell my kids, keep your hand on the cable. 
And it's the same way with faith. We cling to the promises of God and his word. And as we do that, as we go through life doing that, and I know many of you can testify to this, there is an inner assurance that comes. There is an assurance and there's a conviction that these things are true. The reality of God, the reality of the truth of his word, begins to grow in us, becomes an anchor for our soul. But we don't look for that to happen by looking within or trying to gin it up ourselves. The object of our faith is God outside of ourselves and his promises. After the writer describes faith in this way, he indicates the reasonableness of faith. The reasonableness of faith. Once again, faith is not opposed to reason. There are truths about the Christian faith that go beyond reason. If God was someone that we could comprehend with our finite, limited understanding, he would not be God. So God has to reveal to us truths about him that we cannot get to with our unaided reason. But faith does have reasons. Faith is rational. And one thing that the author is doing as he recounts these people who live by faith and the way that they live by faith, he is demonstrating that God has acted in history in the past and has fulfilled his word, his promises in the past. And so you can trust it's reasonable to believe that God will fulfill all of his promises in the future. If God has acted this way in the past, it's reasonable to conclude he will act this way in the future. So he's talking about acts of history. And so God really did speak to a man named Moses, or excuse me, Noah, and warn him, verse 7, concerning events as yet unseen. And Noah responded in faith by constructing the ark, and it saved his household. So God said, a flood is coming, and a flood came. God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to make from you a great nation. It's an impossible promise. But I'm asking you to believe that God is the God of the possible. And Abraham believed that promise, and it came to fruition. And so it's reasonable to believe that that God, because he acts in history and has acted in history to fulfill his word, will act again in the future. And the promise of his return and the promise of judgment and the promise and hope of heaven will be fulfilled. So that speaks to the reasonableness of faith. But there's something else here. Besides God's acts in history, the author refers to his acts of creation or his act of creation in verse 3. You see, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Creation itself cries out for an explanation, right? When you go to, like I did, and our family enjoyed the outdoors in, in Montana, and you go and you see the majestic mountains, and you see the glaciers and the streams and the beautiful world, the question emerges, how did it all get here, right? 
And what is the source of it all? And what is the source of our existence? And the writer of Hebrews says it's by faith that we understand that God is behind it all. God is the creator. Now, I imagine, you know, a skeptic would say, well, there you go. It's by faith, not reason. It's by faith, not science, that tells you that God is the creator. And it's true that nobody can prove in a mathematical sense that God created the universe, but it is a reasonable thing to believe. (laughs) It's reasonable to believe that the universe didn't just create itself and that we didn't come about just by mere chance. In fact, I was reading a um, Nobel Prize-winning scientist, Cambridge professor, Fred Hoyle, read something that he wrote this week. He wrote it a long time ago. I read it this week. (laughs) He's not a theist. He wasn't a a believer in God. He was an atheist. But as he looked at the facts of creation, he said, the probability that this just happened is exceedingly slim. He, he uh, came up with a, 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 um, a way of thinking about it statistically. He was thinking about just the cell, the simple cell, and the enzymes and the way those enzymes need to interact and the composition of those enzymes within a cell for a cell like we have to even exist. And he said that the chance of that happening by mere chance, is one in the 10th to the 40th power. That doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Maybe it does to those of you with a more mathematical mind. But then he gave a helpful analogy. He said, the chance of a cell emerging randomly is like, the probability of that is like a tornado blowing through a junkyard and creating a Boeing 747. And then he said this, he said, the facts, again, I'm talking about reason, reasons deal with facts, reason deals with facts. He said, the facts suggest that a super intellect has monkeyed with the chemistry, the physics, and the biology. Now, Fred Hoyle was not, as I said, a Christian, he was not a theist, so he had to come up with an explanation or a theory about where it came from, because he said a super intellect did it. And so he took a step of faith. You see, ultimate explanations require some step of faith. And he said that perhaps aliens seeded life here on earth. (laughs) That's faith, isn't it? You've got facts and you've got to explain the facts and then faith comes in. It's reasonable to believe that God is the creator. And the point that the author of Hebrews is driving at, and I'm going to get to this more next time because I want to talk more about this morning living by faith, but next week dying in faith. Dying in faith. The point that the author is talking about, the way he connects this God as the creator of everything, the universe, is to say, therefore you ought to believe God's promise that he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. A city that's not built by hands, but the city that he is the architect and builder of. And you need to cling and continue to persevere as you go through this life in the promise that that city is your final destination. That God who loves his people 
has created a dwelling place to be with his people for eternity. Faith has its reasons. Faith has its object, the promises of God. And then faith has its rewards. And there's a, a word that just is written all throughout this chapter, and that is the word commendation, commendation. The reward of faith is to be commended by God. And you see that in verse 2, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. Verse 5, Enoch was commended by God as having pleased him. So let's stop and ask, what does it mean then to be commended by God? If faith has its reward and the reward is to be commended by God, what does it mean to be commended by God? It means something like this. God says, this person, this man, this woman, this child is right in my eyes. This person is pleasing to me. This person is a friend of God. This person is in fellowship with me. To be commended by God is, is, is to live under the smile of God, to be in fellowship with God. And it doesn't require moral perfection. To be commended by God doesn't require measuring up to a standard of goodness. Many people get this wrong when they think about Christianity, that it's a religion, like many other religions, that tells us how to be good, and you can be assured that you're right with God if you reach a certain standard of goodness. That's not what the author is talking about here. In fact, these people that are held up as examples of faith, you read their stories in Genesis, a lot of them made mistakes. Uh, Genesis is honest about the sins and the failures of the people of faith. And, uh, and so it's not about perfection. The author of Hebrews makes it clear throughout this book, and really in the chapters leading up to it, this theme begins to crescendo as we get into 8 and 9 and 10, that the way that we are acceptable to God is not through our perfect works, which we cannot attain, but through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so in... Chapter 10, verse 10, he says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Understand that it's through the sacrifice of Jesus that you are made right in the eyes of God. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament point to that perfect sacrifice. Even the the sacrifice that Abel offered to God is instructive to us. He mentions it in verse 4, an acceptable offering than Cain. It foreshadows the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. It was a costly sacrifice, and there was no, and there is no more costly sacrifice than the offering of Jesus for our sin. And so what is faith that is pleasing to God? What is it that elicits God's commendation? It is faith in what God has done and what God has promised. And not just any faith, but it is the humble faith that trusts in what God has done for you at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not what I have done. It's what God has done for me. 
Faith is believing what God has spoken to you in Jesus Christ. And that's why to strengthen our faith, we've got to look to Jesus, as he'll say in the next chapter, who is the what? The author and finisher of our faith. Maybe somebody is here and would be saying, well, I, I don't have a, a, a great faith. I don't have strong faith. My faith right now is weak. It's dim. I'm one of those who's kind of losing my grip. It's part of the journey of faith. It's kind of waxes and wanes. But I want to share with you something that John Owen, a pastor of many centuries ago, wrote in his sermon, The Strength of Faith. This was very helpful when I read it this week. You may have a weak faith, but you have a strong Christ. You may have a weak hold of Christ, but he has a strong grip on you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When you have that kind of faith that clings to the promises of God made in Jesus Christ, then it does change the way you live. You live for God's commendation. You live to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You don't want to break fellowship with God. When that happens, God has made a way for us to come back in repentance, for that fellowship, that closeness to be restored. So friends, whatever doubts or difficulties you may bring into this service today when it comes to faith, I want to point you to Jesus and say, hang on. Keep holding on. Sometimes you can just hang on and, and stand, and that's all you can do. My niece was taken up to that Highline Trail by my father-in-law, and she was so afraid that she got on her hands and knees and crawled. But she kept going. And sometimes that's what we have to do too. But it's about persevering in hope in the promises of God. Hold fast to the faith that God has given you in Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we, we thank you for your word to us today, and I pray that you would help each and every one of us to believe in the truths that, were, that are written in black and white in these scriptures, but also that by your Holy Spirit, the black and white would come alive in living color in our hearts and minds. I pray for people who are weak in their faith, that their faith might be strengthened. I thank you for saints here who are walking strong in the faith. I pray for those who have no faith, that they would hear what the writer says, that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. And God is not hiding, but God has revealed himself in Jesus and in the scripture. I pray that you will give them a heart to seek you, so that they would have this hope. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.